0: Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience.
1: Rich Dalton, welcome back to the Center of the Universe, man. I have to mention that you were uh, episode 220. You'll end up, this will end up being episode 231. I'm super excited to have you back. Uh, And as a reminder for folks, uh, you're in California, I'm in Virginia, and we're going to get into... uh, Some real topics tonight that kind of talk about your story from age 22 and and beyond.
0: Awesome. I'm excited.
1: All right. So we were just chatting beforehand. Uh, When we uh, ended the last episode, you were getting out of the Marine Corps sort of thing. Um, And I assume you knew what you were going to do next. You already had something lined up.
0: Uh, I was back and forth. Law enforcement, since that's what I did in the Marine Corps, especially canine, was my goal and and i guess dream but i was noticing that it was going to be a little bit longer of a journey to become canine most departments wanted you to put in three to four maybe five six years uh border patrol allowed you to come on directly as a canine handler in a couple other places this is i got out in 2000 so it was pre-9-11 so there wasn't as many canine positions that popped up after 9-11 and so I was kind of on the fence. I missed wrestling a lot, which I wrestled a little, uh, a bit in the Marine Corps as well. I don't think I mentioned that, but I wrestled for the Navy's Southern Pacific team for a couple of years. Um, but that was kind of just on my my days off and, and things of that nature. So I was really contemplating wrestling and going back to college. So I did apply to a couple of police departments, but I, I really didn't have my my heart in that, and and so I, I ended up going. Back to college and did a couple semester college and two seasons wrestling
1: gotcha and uh, and then so w- what was your plan of going to college what was the
0: idea um, wrestling <laughs> Re- r- wrestling and get a degree um, uh, the idea of learning and uh, an education wasn't really my goal at the time I I just wanted to take classes to get a degree and 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 continue re- and or go back to wrestling that was honestly probably my biggest goal
1: yeah and we were talking about wrestling the last time we spoke uh and and you would talk about what it meant for you but like hearing you talk about it now like going to college for wrestling like that's a real attraction for you so uh, it, remind me why why wrestling
0: it changed my life i i played so many other sports football baseball One season of basketball, that didn't go well. Uh, Soccer, which I loved when I was younger. But wrestling, i I think and I I started noticing lately, I think the reason why I loved wrestling was, one, because there was no breaks. It was nonstop. We were just constantly going. And it also allowed me to use my physicality a lot more and get a lot of my pent-up aggression out. Whereas football did that as well, but it was only when I was out there on defense, and if I was playing defense, the offense went out there. I was just standing there, lollygagging, waiting for the next play, the next call, and, and I. And it was just a lot more about technique, and I was just a lot more about brute strength, and and so wrestling really just connected with me. And I'd leave practice just exhausted, which is I think exactly what I needed. I, I walked when I first started wrestling. I couldn't do one pull up. I I, I I strong lower body, but not really upper body. And within one year I went from one pull-up to 16 pull-ups due to wrestling and buying a pull-up bar. And, and, and so wrestling really changed my life. I, 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 you know, and one thing I didn't realize that wrestling is a martial art and I never realized that for quite, quite some time. And it doesn't have the tradition or discipline as obviously karate and Taekwondo and things of that nature, but it, it was a discipline. And that discipline is what I guess I needed.
1: Yeah, and that really stayed with you, right? Because you, you wrestled. I mean, I, I didn't realize Marine, Marines could wrestle for Navy teams. I, I get that the Marine Corps is part of
0: the Department of the Navy, but that's that's pretty cool. You got to travel to do that? So, um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm still involved in wrestling to, even to this day. Um, I, I try to go and help out at, at the Palomar College and then at, um, at this martial arts school down the street. But I, I wasn't wrestling with the Navy's team. They had a Southern Pacific team. And I don't know if it was allowed before. I I remember the commander, he was a, uh, I think Lieutenant commander at the time in the Navy, he made some calls and and he was going to allow me on the team for temporary duty orders, but I just got in canine. And when I brought that up to my department, they were like, uh, no, (laughs) we just sent you to canine school for three months. You've been begging for this. And I, and I loved canine. I loved dogs. And, And that was my dream job going in the Marine Corps. Well, my first dream job. Might have been wrestling for the Marine Corps team, which I tried to do when I was in Japan. Um, mind you, I wasn't good enough to make the All-Marine team. I, I, I probably wouldn't. Have, but I, I wanted to at least try it out. And, and that never, made you know, never happened.
1: Gotcha. Uh, all right. So you're, you're out of the Marine Corps. You're a student again. But you're out in California, right? Yes. And that that lasted, you're saying a couple of semesters. So that lasted roughly a year. Uh, almost
0: and, two, almost two years,
1: almost two years. Sorry. So almost two years. That's, that's a long time. I mean, you had enough credits to qualify for an associate's degree. It sounds like,
0: um, I, I, I have probably have enough credits to, for a bachelor's, but I just never followed through with any of that. Cause I'd gotten a lot of credits during the Marine Corps. And then I got credits before the Marine Corps. So, I, yeah, yeah. I had probably maybe 80, maybe 90. Um, So at least in associates.
1: Yeah, well, 90 for most colleges puts you uh, at the beginning of your senior year. Yeah. A sort of thing. Um, Any plans to ever go back?
0: Um, Not for the degree aspect, uh, but I I have thought about taking classes just, you know, because now I'm in a completely different place in my life. And education is of vital importance to me. Personal growth is now what I run towards. Before, what I realized I ran towards was comfort with, with the pain pills, with drugs, with, with women, with, uh, binge watching Netflix and fast food and, and all kinds of things of that nature, which is, was my demise. And and now I sprint towards personal growth and I have thought a lot about that, uh, possibly going back there, poss- you know, to who knows what, but, um, I, I get a lot of education from books and, and from people as well as obviously the internet and things of that nature, but I, yeah, it's crossed my mind here and there.
1: Okay, right on. Well, uh, if you're learning, what's, there's, there's nothing wrong with learning, uh, and it's, it's usually worth the investment to, uh, to gain knowledge and gain how things work in the world. Definitely. Yeah, all right. So uh, we did not talk about uh, girlfriends or fiances or wives the last time we spoke, but uh, between episodes, uh, you were dating somebody at the end of your time in the Marine Corps, Uh, and well, tell me that story and, uh, take me up until things started to turn South.
0: So I, uh, see, I I met her on the highway of all places, stuck in traffic. Uh, she waved to me. I waved to her. I tried to get her to pull over. Uh, she was pointing at her, at her wrist, telling me that she was late. And, and and finally, I I convinced her to, to pull over on the side of the road. She gave me her phone number and, uh. We, we started dating from there. Uh, that was probably about three months before I got out of the Marine Corps and we hit it off. We, you know, we, we clicked looking back. Uh, I have a feeling that we trauma bonded and I don't want to take anything away from the relationship we had, but just, you know, that's one of the things I realized is my old person. That's my old self. That's what I did was trauma. I, I, I bonded with people that had had similar traumas that I had and looking at my past and her past, I can see that now. Whereas, back then i couldn't uh but yeah we we then d- uh dated for uh about six years before we got married and, and we were together for you know 13 total 13 and a half total uh, so like i said we were dated date- so right after the the marine corps got out was trying to figure out what to do and end up going to pa- uh, palomar college uh i think the next semester and then her and i moved in together after i think we'd been together maybe six five six months and so it was kind of sped up Probably because I just got in the Marine Corps, and um,
1: and then went from there. I mean, it sounds like you guys really uh, gravitated to each other pretty quickly. Uh, and I have to say, i Rich. I'm 54. I've never heard of anybody meeting somebody they eventually married on the highway. Is that <laughs>
0: is that common in California? Uh, I, not to my knowledge. Um, I, and you know, and honestly, I've never met anybody before or anybody after that way, but it was just a, a, a you know, and, and what's funny is I, I can still remember what she was wearing, what she was driving. She was driving her mom's red Honda. Um, she was wearing this like floppy hat. I can't remember. She was wearing her overalls, um, but I think she was. And so, um, but we yeah, we had many great memories. We really did. And, and the combustion of that, if, if you want to call it that, or, or, or the where that went wrong was, Definitely mostly on me. I look back and she, she, she was a, a, a great wife, a great girlfriend, a great woman. She, she a phenomenal mom. I am so grateful. Got, I'm so grateful that really did a, a great job. You know, she, she breastfed them till they were almost two. Uh, she worked out with me when I was doing personal training. She worked out with me till the week before they were born. She did it all natural. She just went above and beyond for them. She really did.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. So after you leave, uh, is, am I pronouncing this correctly? Palomar? Yes. You leave Palomar. And, and what was the idea once you uh, left school?
0: I left school, uh, kind of early, I guess it was right after nine 11. And so, um, right after nine 11, I guess that rocked me pretty good. I, I lived, I grew up 20, 30 minutes away from there. And, um, so I, I, her and I moved moved back there, and we were contemplating staying back there for a while, I guess, back in Jersey, and it just didn't work out. She wasn't able to get into this nursing program there. I signed up for school there, started wrestling on, on that team, which is the team that I wrestled for uh, back in 96, before the Marine Corps, same coach and whatnot. Um, I, I think I wrestled in a match or two. while so- I, I was in the process of signing up for a class, but it, I ended up being waitlisted, and, and it was just a club team at the time and and I, I do remember on the way down to one of the matches i talked to the coach i said hey coach I, I just found out that they dropped me from the class so i'm not an actual student and, and he just kind of said you know uh you know whatever be quiet you know don't tell anybody <laughs> and if i remember correctly I, I think i wrestled that day anyways but um Yeah, you know, that I, but I only, I was only involved with that for maybe like a month. And so I was back, we were back there for about a year and then came back out here.
1: So, how were you making ends meet for that year?
0: I'd saved up a decent amount from the Marine Corps. I I was getting my, I think I had my GI Bill. Um, I I had my disability coming in. My ex was working. I think I, I worked, oh, I was a delivery delivery driver, uh, a pizza delivery driver with, my old uh, wrestling captain from high school, Jason, and uh, rest in peace, who I miss dearly, and and um, probably a couple other side jobs. But, yeah, I, I, we were actually only out there 10 months. So we were there from December to October.
1: December 01 to October 02. Yes. Okay. And then you decided New Jersey was not for, for both of you, and uh, you made the collective decision to go back to Cali?
0: Yeah she she missed her family um, her, her you know her mom or de- you know ever every, you know she has a big family and they're real close and they were all out here and it just it, you know it it wasn't what i remembered it it wasn't you know people had moved on things had changed i had changed and so i was like yeah let's let's go back
1: and did you have a job lined up when you were headed back
0: not lined up but i had Oh, I forgot about this. I did have, I had another job for the last three or four months there. I I worked at the company that my mom, my mom worked at for a while, a a limousine company doing, uh, uh, taking reservations and confirmations. I worked there for a couple months and in that building, they had a gym and and one of the employees told me about the gym. So I went down there. I just wanted to go, Oh yeah, we get to work out free. It was a female and, and, I think maybe that was why they let her work out for free and they wrote me into doing personal training and I I forget how much that was probably a couple hundred a month. And so I said, okay, I'd always wanted to. And so I did that for I think a month or two and that like all of a sudden a light bulb in my head. I'm like this uh, man, I know." kind of thought about the personal training. So right when I got back here, probably a couple months later, I went and got certified and then uh, right after getting certified, I got my first personal training job once I got back.
1: Gotcha. And so, uh, you've talked about physicality. You talk about physical fitness. Uh, did did that job really, really appeal to who you were at the time?
0: Oh, definitely. Because I, I always loved coaching and sports and and obviously, like you said, health and wellness and fitness. Uh, I started coaching my s- junior senior year. I wouldn't call it coaching, helping out the little kids for the, uh, the, the rec program in wrestling. Uh, and so I, I really, really loved that. When I went back and that was the other thing I was doing when I was back in Jersey. I was helping out the high school team and the rec team that whole year. I, I, I actually was coaching that year for the rec team, um, every practice and, and on the on the on the matches and all that. And then I helped out with the high school team. So that just helping, coaching, teaching, inspiring people was always something that w- you know was real close to my heart. So that that just seemed to click. And uh,
1: so I, I know you eventually became a law enforcement officer again uh how long did you do personal training before you you went back into law enforcement
0: so I, I worked at that gym for about a year and a half and kind of out of nowhere they they closed shop and the personal training company kind of sent all over us and our clients over to this other gym i worked there for maybe a month or so it just was completely different my clients didn't like it and they were about to leave so i went off on my own from there and I went on my own for, and I started my own business, which I, I kind of still have and still work through fitness training for you. And I started that up and was working at it, worked out of a couple different gyms or trained down at the beach a lot or parks. And so I started doing that for the, I guess the next three or four, maybe, yeah, about four years before getting into, um, back into law enforcement.
1: So how old were you when you got back into law enforcement? 28, 29, 30. So not not the youngest guy to, to get back into law enforcement, right? I it, it, it had to be a little hard to get back in in, in your late 20s. Thank, thankfully,
0: thankfully um, so it was for the Department of Defense on Camp Pendleton through the through the United States Marine Corps. And all the other bases, the or excuse me, all the other services had been using civilian police officers for a while. The Navy, I guess, had been doing it since the 80s. Air Force had been doing it for a while. But the Marine Corps had just started doing this. And I had heard about this, and they were specifically hired for canines. So that was what appealed to me. I was the third third academy class there, and we had a lot of guys that were tra- departments um, and, or just retiring from the Marine Corps. We had a couple of younger guys, but there was also qu- quite a few guys that were older than me, a couple guys in their 40s, even, even in their 50s. But um, I guess I was one of the older guys, but I still had a lot of spunk in me, and, and I, and I, I you know, was constantly trying to compete with them, especially when it came to the physicality part.
1: Yeah, and 28 relative to a 50-something uh, is definitely not old.
0: Yeah, I think it was, if I remember, I think I was in my 30s. I think I was 30. I think I was 30 years old.
1: Okay. All right, and so by most of your life, well, certainly your childhood and your early adult life, uh, what was your view on uh, drugs?
0: Oh, I, I was completely against it. Um, I, I completely believed in the D.A.R.E. program. Uh, I, I tried weed twice when I was 18 to impress some girls on two different occasions. It literally took took a hit. Uh, even alcohol. I, I, I really never drank until my senior year. Well, so I thought at least. And then lately I've been remembering uh, pictures of me at three years Passing a can uh, of you know beer back and forth with my cousin at a block party when when we were when I was in New York City, and I brought that up to to my cousin Sharon that you know and and she laughed and she goes, "Oh, you loved beer." I said, "What? W- what do you mean by that? What do you mean I loved beer? I, you know, somebody that drinks a couple sips of, of beer one time doesn't love beer." I'm, so now I've been wondering, I'm like, was that a one time thing or was that a an often type thing? <laughs> You know, which would make sense. Well, I don't really have many memories of of when I was, you know, six and younger.
1: Hey, Rich, uh, I have a memory of my dad drinking beer with his buddies, and he thought it would be funny to watch his, I think I was four years old at the time, watch me take a sip of beer. Of course, they had had a few. And I'm like, maybe maybe that was the only time he did
0: that, but I I don't know. Who knows? Same here. and. And, and, and mind you, I, I, I think I went over this before and, and, I, and I would just like to just share this real quick. I, I've taken responsibility for all my actions in my life. I know my mom, my dad, my ex-wife, and everybody was doing the absolute best that they could. And, and I truly believe that I was as well. And I and I honestly, I love my mom, my dad, and even my ex-wife for, for all that they were and all that they did for me and, and everything about them. I, I have nothing bad to say about any of them and, and I just don't want there to be ever any confusion with anything I'm saying, but yeah, I was again, completely against drinking. I tried it a couple times here and there, but, um, I remember in my junior year in high school and, and, and whatnot, my friend, you know, the, one of my friends, good friends that I grew up with, we'd laugh, be like, Oh, you know, those losers at parties, just what do they do? Just stand around, just drinking and talking. like that doesn't sound fun. And, and then right before uh, f- my, my football season comes around right before the, uh, first, um, First game, I fractured my collarbone and I'm out for the season. Well, I didn't know if I was out for the season, but I kind of told myself I was because I wasn't even sure I wanted to play football that year. I was really focused on wrestling, and next thing you know, I was going to parties, throwing parties, and and you know, kind of have a good time from from then till right before I left the Marine Corps. And Got so you. but but yeah, I, I, completely against drugs. I, if, if I had a friend that smoked weed, I, I wouldn't be friends with, I, I you know, I, I would disassociate from them. I just was completely against it. And then, hence why I had all the jobs and I, every job I had was, um, I got drug tested, you know, up until, you know, even recently from being a Marine, from wrestling in college, MMA, um, law enforcement and things of that nature. But but you know, I look back and and I, and I was a hypocrite. I, I was quite the hypocrite. I I think uh, in my I guess my late twenties, I, I tried steroids a few times, well, quite a few times, and and I thought that was okay because I was getting them from a pharmaceutical company, and and I just all these things how I rationalized it.
1: Yeah. So uh, you had a couple surgeries. You were telling me, and you would they would give you pain pills. You were, you were on them for a couple of days, but then you were, you had. A, sounds like another surgery and, and roughly how were you for, for this other surgery where it wasn't just a couple of days of, of pain pills?
0: It's, yeah. So the first couple of times I didn't like the feeling at all. I didn't like that feeling, which is, I didn't like that feeling from weed. Um, and mind you, I, I did try weed a couple more times um, in my late twenties and thirties. Again, just, you know, a couple of hits. I, again, never really liked the feeling. I just never, I, I you know, What's funny though is weed ended up helping me out so much. I, I, once I used it with the right intention, it helped me finally be at peace. It finally, you know, helped me just to to, to be there. I, I just always had a time hard time with that. I was always very anxious. I always had to be someplace else. I always, I, I couldn't. I never felt comfortable with my skin. And uh, weed helped me with that a lot later in life, after my addiction, actually. And, but yeah, so the first two were, was when I was twenty and the twenty two. Uh, like I said, I took it for maybe a, a day or two. I didn't like the feeling. Stop taking them. I also realized I wasn't in pain. I had never had surgery. So I was expecting to be in pain. I took them because of that and, and I got rid of them. So then I think at about 34, um, so uh, let's see 2000 was it 2000, I guess 2008. Yeah. Right at the end of my MMA career. Um, I get this deep cut from doing box jumps on a picnic table and i and it goes down to kind of the bone. I got put on pain pills, and oh, it was completely different. I, I, I yeah, it was two thousand, maybe two thousand ten, so, somewhere around that time frame. And and it was just, it, it took all the pain away, all the pain in my body, and all the pain in my my head away. And and it was just, I, I finally, honestly, it was probably the best I'd felt energy wise and motivation wise, possibly ever.
1: And so what felt like bad to you for a couple of days? And, and you logically said, hey, I'm not feeling pain. I don't need this. I mean, and obviously the second surgery to the time you busted your your leg on a picnic table, a lot of time had passed. I mean, we're, we're talking about roughly 12 years had passed. You're 34. You've got a kid on the way, a two-year-old. You're married. I imagine stress was at a maybe an all-time high for you.
0: Yeah. And then getting this job, um, in, you know, as a cop, um, I, which I, I, I don't think I really wanted to do. I would wanted to stay with the personal training, but things happened the wrong way. Uh, my ex really wanted me to get a job that was stability. And I was really against that because I thought I had stability with the personal training, but I, you know, looking back, I see where she's coming from. Cause I put a lot of stress on her with, you know, not knowing exactly when I was getting paid and, and things of that nature. and so. She really liked the idea of having that bi-weekly paycheck. And um, so, yeah, so I also think depression was setting in and, well, excuse me, depression was setting in a lot more stress and things of that nature. And, and life was just becoming, I guess, a little bit too, too overwhelming for me.
1: And so day three, day four, after uh, you'd been worked on by the doctors, uh, it, it probably put you in a place where you're like, hey, this feels really good.
0: Oh, I, I, it was probably day one. And, and honestly, th- there was little to no pain in my shin. It was a, just, a, it was a real deep cut. And I don't really remember any pain, but she, they, they offered me Norcos and I said, yes. And I think it was probably the next day or so. I wasn't hooked right away, I, I, but I, I will say I was probably hooked within a week or two. And, and I, and I just remember slowly, but surely just all of a sudden, the all, all the pain in my body, going away, you know, my, my, you know, my shoulder, which I'd had problems with since I was 17, fracture my collarbone, um, uh, my knee pain, my back pain. Cause I'd had a lot of back pain when I was 22 between the knee surgeries. Uh, you know, I remember when I was 22 being with my ex and her, her little sister, we'd always go to all these amusement parks and I was every 30 minutes having to sit down, having to take a break. I was doing that a lot when I was in the Marine Corps as well, where I was constantly on light duty. Cause my back was just constantly just give me problems or at least i thought it was and uh i'll be honest i look back and i think it was emotional i think it was just all this emotion i was holding on to and squeezing so tight especially because the back pain and the knee surgery and all that stuff all, you know well the back pain all started right after the knee surgery which also started right after finding out about anthony my 24 year old and um so yeah so it just made me feel great and, and i remember coming home from work and I'd, I'd pop one of these pills, and all of a sudden I, I had energy to – I'd work 14-hour shifts, and I'd be able to come home and play with my kids and get on the ground with them, and, and I was able to kind of get back into jujitsu jitsu a little bit, and I just felt great. Yeah, so
1: they're prescribed at first, right? And by the way, you, you said narcos as sort of a generic term. Were these
0: opioids? Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, so hydrocodone, um, I was just getting five milligrams. But, yeah, I, I was getting it prescribed for probably – well, uh, legally prescribed to probably two, you know, for eight or 10 years. Um, but that time I was on it for about a year or so. And, and then, uh, I finally started realizing after, you know, missing a couple of days, I also started doctor shopping. I went, I, I had my one insurance. And then I also had my VA. So I started going to both back and forth. They caught on, they, they tried to cut me off. Well, the VA cut me off completely. And then my, it's called Kaiser out here. Uh, they, they were trying to cut me off and I begged and pleaded. And, but all of a sudden for three or four days, I, I didn't have any. And, and the withdrawals were horrible, but all of a sudden I realized it, the pain wasn't that bad. And so after that, I went cold Turkey. I remember emailing my, my doctor saying, Hey, thank you. But no, thank you. I'm, um, I'm good. And, and so I went cold Turkey often for about a year and I never really realized this to the last few months, but that year must've been miserable for my, my ex-wife. um, Because not only was I off the pills and cold turkey, I wasn't doing MMA. So I I think I substituted those addictions or coping mechanisms. Well, they were addictions at that time, but my coping mechanisms were MMA and and fitness. But I wasn't really working out because I was still in a bit of pain um, and still obviously dealing with this. Withdrawals, because the withdrawals took about physics, you know, the diarrhea the you know the, the the sweats and all that stuff that lasted for about two weeks and then stomach issues for like probably the next two months but all of a sudden as that went away I I, I think I really was taken out on her I, I you know and that's what led to the divorce you know that was the last year uh, of our marriage and and looking back I, I I must have I must have really caused a lot of problems for her and and I don't want to go into do, too much detail you know for for her sake, but, I, I did not treat her right. I, I, I manipulated her. I, I, uh, I, gosh, I, I, I gaslighted her. I was a narcissist. And, and mind you, I didn't think I was any of these things. I really thought I was a good person because I, I, I would do this trading in my mind. Well, I, I I did all these things for her. So even if I do these couple bad things for her, I'll make it up by doing these things. And, um, yeah, I was just constantly lying to her, constantly doing just really bad things. Um, and, and, you know, she'd catch me with some of these things and, and, and mind you, I, I, if it wasn't for her, I I would have no problem sharing, um, all of it, but I I don't want to cause any pain or or damage to her. Um, but I, again, I just, you know, I, I, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say it. I I cheated on her quite a bit. And, and, um, and, and a lot of times it wasn't even physical. It was just on, on the internet talking to women. And things of that nature and it was never because of her she, she was great she really was but I was one of those people that well you should have known why, why didn't you do this for me I well I, I know it didn't ask but you, you you know you should have known just a lot of that nonsense and again at the time I really didn't really see it but I I just had so much anger inside me since I was a kid so much anger so much rage. So much depression that all was untreated that I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't even know it existed. And then these pills, like I said, were this magic thing that came away. And then, and so, yeah, that, that, that definitely, I think was the, uh, one of the key, well, that wasn't the key factor. I was the key factor, but that, that played a big part in, in, ending the, the marriage.
1: So you, you, you become drug addicted at the age of 34, I think you said, yeah, uh, somewhere around there. Yeah, and and how long were you before you uh,
0: went cold turkey? So so that so the, so that was I I I went cold turkey for about I think about a year the last year of my marriage so that was probably about 2011, and then um my my cousin who was 40 years old had a massive heart attack on his way to work and was in a car accident, and I I went back to New Jersey for that and while I was back there, she sent me a, a very cryptic email or text and I called her and I, and I kind of, she just kept telling me she wanted to talk to me when I got, you know, and I kind of forced her to, and then she just told me that she wanted a divorce. And, and, and I, I think that's when I got back on the pills and, 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 and then it was off and running from there.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, shocking to me that you got divorced when you were clean
0: well i i, th- I think well, like i said at that time I, I was taking it as prescribed maybe a little bit more i was taking it when I, you know when i drank on the weekends um well not every weekend but you know when, when i when i did drink which was probably at least every other weekend um so i, I was mixing it with other things which i'm sure concerned her um that time when I was clean, I, I was a dry drunk is what I, you know, what I, what I'd call it. Um, I, I wasn't going to AA, I didn't go to rehab. I, I just went off of it and, and I think I replaced that way to cope with my problems with, you know, other women or, or trying to seek out other women or talking to other women online and, and, and being very negative towards her and, and and then especially my MMA career just kind of ended, which kind of ended r- abruptly because of this, as well as I, I, I think in my last year of trying to fight in 2009, I had nine fights scheduled and then nine fights canceled. And, and I, and I was, so that was, you know, that had been my big part of my life for about six or seven years while I was doing the personal training. And and so that was, you know, a, a uh, definitely very depressing for me.
1: So you did MMA before you got b- back into law enforcement or is it while you were doing law enforcement
0: uh, before? Yes. So while I was doing the personal training and right after college um, at Palomar and whatnot, uh, I, I, did, it, I got into MMA. All
1: right. We're, we're talking about a lot of heavy things here. Um, but, and I think we're going to bounce back. I, I want to talk about maybe a couple of stories from your law enforcement with the DOD out there at Pendleton. Um, I think I want to explore uh, the addiction a little bit more, but I, I I'm fascinated. I, I don't know. Any, you're the only person I know that has ever competed in MMA um, at, the, <laughs> at the highest level, right? You were with the UFC for
0: a while. Not the UFC. I was. With, I, I fought for King of the Cage, Total Combat, and Strike Force. Strike Force got bought by the UFC. Um, so my my second to last fight. Was for Force at the Playboy Mansion. It was the uh, Playboy Mansion's first ever MMA fight, and that was a guy that was undefeated. Uh, this guy Daniel Peter, who was from the WWE, and that was the first car- first fight on the main card. So I really thought that was gonna slingshot my career. I was, uh, what was I, three, two, and one at the time, and, and and it being at the Playboy Mansion, it was streamed on Yahoo Live. It was the first time Yahoo. And this, I got started in kind of in the beginning of MMA. Not not the complete beginning, but at least the beginning out here. My first couple fights were in Mexico. My first two fights were in Mexico because it was illegal still in California. And then uh, I fought in Georgia. I tr- was supposed to fight in Colorado, but um, the, the guy got injured right before, before our fight. And then I fought Me- uh, Mexico again, and then California, and then at the Playboy Mansion. Like I said, that, I thought that was going to be my... Big breakthrough. I lost by decision. Um, and and then my next fight was King of the Cage first another guy who was undefeated. I beat him. And so by this point in time, I'm one, four, four wins, three losses. And um, But at the same time, I was a very boring fighter. I, I didn't take many chances. I was a, a grinder. I, I would throw an overhand right, shove you into the cage, and, and try to beat you up from there and, and, and just kind of lay on you. And so... And at the time, <laughs> the refs would, if, if there wasn't enough action on the cage or on the ground, they'd stand you back up or they'd put you back in the middle, which I didn't like at all. And so, again, like I said, I, I was just pretty boring. And, and um, yeah, so, I, but, yeah, I, I trained with a lot of legends back then. Uh, you know, Dan Henderson, who was still to this day one of the best MMA fighters. I trained with him for quite a few years. Jason Lambert was ranked as high as number nine, I think, in the world. At light heavyweight, uh, you know, quite a few other guys in the, in the UFC: Joey Beltran, Eddie Sanchez, and um, and then just a bunch of other guys: Brandon Vera, Mark Munoz, Boss Rooten, uh, Rampage Jackson. Um, you trade with all these dudes? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Rampage only uh, like twice. Boss Rootin once or twice. Jason Lambert was um, I was you know we were on teammates for for year for several years. Joey Beltran. And Eddie Sanchez were my teammates as well, and then uh, D- Dan. I was part time a part of their team. Um, I-, I don't know if you remember S- so could you who-, who was ranked I think number four in the world. He was one of my main training partners for a while as well. Um, he was not, uh, he was just killing it in Pride, and and quite a few other guys that, that I've you know trained with and and, and worked with.
1: So, and-, and this was all in your twenties, uh,
0: late twenties. Er- I think. Late 20s, early 30s.
1: Yeah. So you were getting in, you were in MMA when it wasn't nearly as widely accepted as it is now.
0: Oh, not at all. Yeah. It was back when the UFC, so this was back UFC 40. So UFC 40s, um, right around the time when I, I started training jiu-jitsu, I, I'd gotten about six months of jiu-jitsu training under my belt. And that was when I took my first fight. Um, but yeah back when they were doing UFCs like every three months so it was it was very very different and it was really hard to get fights uh i didn't have a management manager at first for the first couple of years so i was the one making all the calls i had a great coach this uh ross was my coach for my, my first probably four or five years or whatever and then uh I, I went with another team because they had a management team as well as a coaching team and i thought that would give me a, a leg up yeah,
1: so I, I think when I googled you and I put in MMA, I swear there was a reference to the UFC, but it may be because uh, the uh, connection to the strike force.
0: Yeah, uh, that and, and 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 now MMA's just almost always, you know, because I, I, I've, you know, when I pulled up my name as well, it, it, just MMA and UFC, and, you know, especially if you get, um, like if you pull up my profile on ESPN, it just it, it all seems to get, all looks like you know. Um, falls under the UFC, but yeah, just strike force right before they get bought by by the UFC. I, I tried out for the Ultimate Fighter a couple times, uh, and one time I think I had a chance because I hadn't in. I talked to back on a Spike TV. I think it's Paramount now, um, but I was talking to their executive director, and I thought I was about to get in, but I was getting married in Vegas during the filming, and I thought that oh, that's perfect. I, uh, you know, I, while I'm there get married or excuse me, while I'm there fighting, if you guys can just let me leave for the day, go get married and I'll come right back. And I, I thought this was a great idea. And I thought that was, you know, I, I actually had a tuxedo shirt with my cat who, who was black and white at the time. So he kind of looked like he was wearing a tux. And in my, my video that I, I put it sent in, they're like, yeah, it, you wouldn't be able to get married. I said, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, we got like 200 people coming. I, I can't They're like, uh, Sorry.
1: I mean, sometimes you have decisions that uh, are not easy to make, but you you at the time made the right decision.
0: Yeah. So. Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, it seems like everybody in uh, MMA that gets to a professional level, whether it's UFC, Strike Force or one of the others, everybody seems to have a nickname. So before we discuss your nickname uh, – is that, is that a thing? They're like, hey, we get your name's Rich Dalton, but we're going to need a nickname from you. Did that happen early on?
0: <laughs> they don't ever ask for that. Um, I, it, when you do the fighter profile, uh, whether it's online or for the fight, there is a, a, a part there where it does ask your nickname. And I never personally had a nickname for myself, but I think it started with my manager, Manny, and I think he's the one who gave me the uh, name Double D. Which was Dick Dalton. And then for a little bit it was Triple D, which was dirty Dick Dalton, because of a whole silly incident that happened, you know. But um so Double D, I it was the only one that that I guess I had. I, I never referred, you know, and and, and only a couple of people that I knew referred. I think it actually is still on the Sure Dog website, which is connected to ESPN, so it might still be on there. So just Dick Dalton. But nobody ever called you Dick, right? No, no, but so they thought that was funny, and 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 I and again, I was I was just a very uptight person back then, so I probably didn't like it. So that's probably why it stuck.
1: Oh, that's how nicknames stick. No oh, doubt. of course, yeah.
0: <laughs> the ones unless you like, they never stick.
1: Unless you're uh, like the champ, then I guess you get to call whatever you want.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, so when they introduced you, it was Rich Double D Dalton.
0: Um. I, I think only for my last fight uh, King of the Cage, yeah. Um, but besides that, it was just usually Rich Dalton.
1: Okay. So you the world only got to hear uh, Double D come over the, the mic once.
0: Yeah, may, maybe twice. I, I, I don't know. But but I, like I said, I think it is on SureDog.com. I think it's still on there.
1: Uh, I mean, it, it'll be associated with you for uh, the rest of your life, sounds like.
0: yeah. One of my students brought it up the other day. He goes, uh, hey, Double D. I say, excuse me, what? <laughs> and they don't know much about – I said, w- where would you get that from? Uh, uh, n- nothing, Sensei. I'm like, uh, wh- hold on. Wh- what do you mean? And, and so then they asked me what it was about, and, I, you know, they didn't seem to really get it too much, but
1: – Yeah, well, it's uh, – I mean, at least, at least you had a nickname that uh, lots of people heard. I, I, I don't know whether I want to explore your fighting style first or next, uh, or the fight at the playboy mansion that had to feel surreal
0: oh yeah that was yeah that was great i, I ended up getting to go a second time doing security there so which was you know just amazing and, and, and obviously i'm grateful for i'm grateful for all these opportunities without a doubt but uh yeah that was that was pretty crazy i, I that was my big chance and, and I, I wish i would have been well i don't wish you know what everything happened you know but looking back i just i remember i, I was I guess it was pretty tense. Um, I, I didn't have my normal cornermen in there. I w- you were only allowed to bring two cornermen. It was something like a $1,000 per person. So they only let you have two cornermen. They wouldn't let any family members, nobody could buy tickets. They had a bunch of, you know, B and A level, you know, a couple B level celebrities, but, you know, maybe some, you know, I, well, I don't mean to say it like that, but, um, but like I remember Joe Rogan was there. Um, um, uh, Jamie Priestley was there and and Joe Romans by no means B level um, or easy either is Jamie but um but at the time I, I I didn't I knew their faces but I didn't know their names a couple other people were there that, that Gary Shandling was there who I was a huge fan of his show and I didn't know about him being there till years later Hugh Hefner came out right as my fight was starting because like I said my fight was the first fight um and I remember seeing him walk out with this the two girls either I remember seeing him walk out or I remember seeing him sit down as I was in the cage. And, uh, you know, I got to go in the grotto. Uh, Chuck Zito was there. I tried to talk to him about the New York Yankees. You know, he, he didn't want any of that, but, uh, I, I, I got stuck in a front headlock majority of the fight and rather than fighting out of it, I was just using a defense, hoping he would get tired and, and he didn't and kept, kept getting me in. And I kept, in a sense, put my head in it. Kept using that same defense, and um, in a sense, again hoping that he'd get tired. And I, I kept my game plan. So, I, and and if you you listen to the fight, that's what the commentators talk about. Uh, Frank Shamrock was the, the commentator who I briefly talked about. He just moved out here to Carlsbad. I briefly talked to him about about it uh, off Instagram a couple months ago. And but both him and the other announcer was saying that I stuck to my game plan, which I do agree with. But I, I was trying to pressure him. I was trying to force him into later rounds. He'd never been at, at you know, he'd never went the full distance. Most of his fights, he'd ended in the first round. I, th- I think the back, I think all of them he did. And so, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was a great time. But I remember my head felt like a bowling ball afterwards. Well, excuse me, my head, fe- my neck felt like I was holding up a bowling bowling ball just because he'd been hanging on my neck the entire time.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's funny you mentioned Rogan. I, I listen to a, Rogan's podcast from time to time. He has a, an unbelievable memory uh, of fights and of of details that, that the typical person wouldn't. If I had a chance to meet Joe Rogan and I mentioned Rich Double D Dalton, would he uh, would he remember?
0: Um, probably not. But I, I'll be honest. I do look forward to the day that that I, I speak to him, or or you know, hope you know, and I. Hopefully get on his podcast because he's been a huge inspiration. He, he he's been a huge, huge help in my recovery. He he's been a mentor without even knowing. And, and and because of the people that he's had on, from Jordan Peterson to Sad Guru to Jay Shetty to uh, God, I don't even I shouldn't even start a listing because there's so many others that I, I don't want to miss their names. Um he's opened my mind to so many different books, to so many oh David Goggins, so many other things, and then even him to watch his transformation. So now listen to him talk about kindness and compassion. Mike Tyson has been another one that's been on a show. Um, so he's been huge. And and I, I know he talks about redemption stories and, and comeback stories. And obviously I know I have a great one. And especially because I'm willing to talk about it all. Like there's, I have no more shadows anymore. I have no more, my, all my closets are open. All the skeletons are, and, and, and there's not many people that are willing to do that. However, the only reason why I'm willing to do that is because I, I gave up everything. I lost everything and then gave up everything after, you know, and, and it was con- Well, after losing everything, I, I just said, well, let's get rid of everything as well. You know? And, and I, I've, I've really gotten rid of almost all of attachments. I, I haven't dated in almost a year. I, I, I stopped watching porn, stopped masturbating, stopped dating, stopped having sex. Um, and, and all kinds of things, Pop it's been about a year, um, gave up food. I, I usually only eat once a day. Um, I, I eat my cell phone um, I, I, gave that up. I, I turn off my service. I only use it for Wi-Fi. I, have a, I do have a work phone now, um, for work purposes, but I, 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 same thing with my living situation. I I've kind of been a, in transition where, and, and like I said, every single time where I've ever questioned where I was going to lay my head at the end of the night, whether you want to call it God, the universe, whatever you want to call it has always came through for me every single time, especially in this last year. Um, I, 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 take the back for the last couple of years, especially since I've been on this path of trying to be a service, because like I said earlier, I, I, I run towards personal growth. The other thing I run towards is, is being a service. If anybody calls me at any time and asks me for help, if I am capable of helping, I'll be there. I, I, I'm not at, I will never ask for anything in return. I will never ask for a in gas. I will never. And, and most of my clients, heck, most, I, I never realized and looked at it this way. But a lot of my clients, I pay them. I don't pay them to be my clients, but, you know, I'll lend them money if I ever have any extra money. Um, You know, I'll drive them places. I'll I'll pick them up. I'll help them. I've helped them move Um, as well as friends and and other people. um, I I just feel like I I need to be of service. I I want people to take advantage of me. I I, I realized that probably about a month ago. I want people to say, oh, Rich is a strong guy. He could probably help me move. Call me up. Hey, Rich, can you... I had a buddy call me today. Hey, I'm going out of town. Um, would you, would you be willing to stay in my extra room and, and watch, you know, he's him and I were cops together. He actually called me just about an hour ago. He's like, I know you know how to handle a gun and handle it yourself. And, um, my, my, my wife is, is kind of scared after the, you know, the the racially charged shooting. And would you mind staying the night there? I said on it, gotcha. And I, I, I love to be of service now. And, and again, I don't, not only do I not expect anything in return, I don't want anything in return. I, I I usually go out of my way to say, thanks, but no thanks. And and I will never down the road say, hey, remember that one time that you did this? Can you do that? That will never happen. Now, mind you, I say those things because I used to be that way. Remember that one time I did? You need to help me out now because I, that's not me anymore.
1: Yeah, when you and I first spoke on the phone, you, you talked about most of the world is constantly uh, in the middle of uh, negotiating or discussing some some sort of quid pro quo, very transactional. I don't view you as a whole person. I view you as a means to something I want. Uh, and, and I try to live like that, but it's hard. So the it fact is. That you're doing it all the time. Uh, it probably feels great to you. It, it
0: does. And, and mind you, a lot of it, I say circumstance, but it's not. Because one thing I never really got into detail with you about on the first podcast, when you asked me, what am I up to today? I was a little bit hesitant about some of the things. And 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 I, I didn't want to come across as too arrogant or cocky, but I live a very disciplined life right, right now. And, and whereas, again, like I said before, it was the exact opposite. I, I would go to work and be disciplined there to a certain degree. And I would train and be disciplined, you know, or work out. And, but in between that, I was usually running home to the couch or to the chair and, and, and I was just always in pain or just constantly tired. And, and I really believe it was because my mind was just constantly spinning from the could have, the would have, the should have, the guilt, the regret, the shame, the, just the anger, the, the regret. I, I had so much regret. If I would have done this, I shouldn't, you know, and just all those things. And anytime those things would pop up, I'd have to shove something in my face, my throat, food or, or soda or drink or pills or drugs. And so now, I uh, you know, now I, I have those coping mechanisms within me. I can take a deep breath. I can go for a walk. I can I can meditate. I can read. I can listen to a book on on, on tape or I can listen to a, some kind of motivational speech. I have other ways. Or just going out and being in, in nature, being in the sun and getting fresh air. Those things are such great. But breath work is probably my biggest one. If, if I ever do get overwhelmed with anything, I, I can just take some deep breaths or, or do some breath holds and, and I can snap right back.
1: Yeah, so Rich, we're going to do a third episode together, and I and I, I think that third episode is you talking about what kind of was for lack of a better way of describing this your 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 rock bottom, uh, and then coming out of that rock bottom, and then then thoroughly exploring what your last year or two have, have been like. Uh, so we, we I'm, we're going to go for a little over an hour here, we're, we're roughly fifty five minutes. I. I I want to uh, talk a little bit more about your time with uh, DOD at, at Pendleton. Was that a hard gig? It, it doesn't seem like a lot of crazy felonious things would happen in a place like Camp Pendleton.
0: You would think. <laughs> you would think, um, and that's what most people said. Oh, you're not, you know, you're not a real cop. And and mind you, I, it was different. It, it you know wasn't the same as New York City or L.A. or things of that nature. But we did have. But the big difference is the things that happened on that base stayed on that base because the only way the media was allowed to, to, to come on base or to talk to anybody is if the military allowed them. And so there was a lot of things that happened on the base that nobody and, and that Vanessa Gein Fort Hood incident is a perfect example, especially all the bodies they found after that. And. Um, yeah, we you know, there, we had murders, drugs, gang- gangs, um, especially right when I got hired on and, and before that, because Oceanside at that time had one of the reports I'd gotten was 26 known gangs in Oceanside at the time. 26? And, and yeah. And, and w- within a three year period, two, two cops were shot and shot and killed, um, by, by, get, uh, you know, and mind you, Oceanside's about, a, I think it's about 200,000, on um, the population and so it's it's not not a big city but it's also not real small and and so it, it, yeah those 26 supposedly known gangs and and i think in around 2010 they they actually had to zone off two areas where um there was no gang affiliate you know if, if two people were caught wearing the same color shirt that they, they were allowed to be pulled over and, and get their information taken especially if it was red and blue or you know things of that nature um, so that spilled over onto the base. Uh, coyotes was also an issue. People, a lot of, you know, whether it Marines or things of that nature, going down to Mexico, picking up people, going through the base to avoid the checkpoint. Uh, we had a couple terrorist events um, where they were using the base um, to uh, the paintball uh, park to train as well as to get to know the base. We had a couple other incidences. Uh, I was a canine handler, so I decent amount of bomb threats, uh, decent amount of drugs, and, and, and mind you, as a canine handler and just an officer, I didn't know all the the deeper stuff, NCIS. But you know, we had a helicopter crash. I was uh, you know second on on scene for that. Um, let's you know uh, we had you know I was the murder that we had a murder. I I wasn't working that day for that one, but a uh, one roommate killed the, you know, there's a couple murders during my time there, but yeah, I, I was canine. And, and one of the reasons why I went canine was well, one. I love dogs, but I'd go on missions. And so they'd sent me to New York when I was in the Marine Corps earlier, I would got to go to Greece and, and Italy and Iceland with, with, uh, as a canine handler for HMX this time here, when I was a, a DOD officer, I went to New York city for two weeks for the, the, g6 ga conference or whatever it was um which was great because i got to go to my hometown with my dog and 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 see some old friends and stuff like that um but it it was really great the first year or two and, and then depression stress and all that stuff really beat me up and i was just a crappy employee i just was very unreliable getting there late two minutes three minutes late calling out of work um, just couldn't be dependent on and, and that just spun out of control over and over again. The first two years I was doing a lot of martial arts with them. So that was really good too. But then that group of guys, they left and they got stationed elsewhere because I worked with Marines as well. And, um, and just things changed and I changed and then they've been trying to fire me for my last couple of years. Uh, they were trying to get me on my weight because my weight got up to about 250, 255. I was using my thyroid as an excuse, um, which I know played a part, but there was so many other factors and I wasn't even trying to really lose the weight. So then they ended up transferring me over to, to dispatch. So I became a nine one dispatcher for the fire department for the last year and a half. And then they, then they were finally able to fire me from there.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, sorry to bounce around like this. I, I mentioned earlier, I didn't know what to explore next the, uh, <laughs> the match at the playboy mansion or your style. And you talked about your style being kind of boring with a wrestling background. What I, what you typically see, maybe I've been watching uh, some of the uh, lower weight classes, but they'll go for the, for the legs, for the takedown and they'll wrestle against the cage or they'll wrestle uh, off the cage, but it's usually going for the legs. It sounds like you mentioned an overhand, right. It was basically to get them on their heels, moving backwards towards the cage, and then you just mauled them into the cage. And exactly. what did you do to the cage? Were you trying to take them
0: down? Um, sometimes, but I started working a lot of upper body stuff. My, uh, my MMA coach, Ross, was a judo guy. Uh, Lou, who also helped, was on the Marine Corps wrestling team there, uh, with Greco, and he's the one who, who brought us up with Dan Henderson. We trained with Dan Henderson, Matt Lindland, and I think Randy came up there once. But they were all Greco guys. So I started trying to do a lot more Greco stuff. Um, but if I could get the takedown without putting myself in too much you know, risk, I, I would. But if not, I, I would, you know, short little uh, uppercut. You know, a lot of dirty boxing, uh, a lot of grinding, just a lot of pushing and shoving against the cage. I, my teammate Jason Lambert taught me how to use my, you know, our heads right up into the neck and the carotid artery. And so I, I would do that a lot or try to do that a lot. And just try to grind. And if I if I got the takedown, again, I'd, I'd just get there and grind and try to grind a pound from there.
1: So dirty boxing in boxing is, is truly dirty. But in MMA, <laughs> it's it's completely allowable, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you remember, like I do, the first UFC, right? Oh, yes. Boyce Gracie, he's, he's out there in his gi, and he's taking on guys like twice his size, and he ends up winning the whole thing. And I distinctly remember – two things were really uh, compelling to me or at least got my attention. One was the fact that it was mixed martial arts. Like what a crazy concept when it first started. But you love the idea – I'm going to see a brawler go up against a, a jujitsu guy or whatever yes. it was. Uh, the other thing that w- was just – as a an American male, this was appealing to me – no holds barred, except I think you couldn't eye gouge in UFC 1. And yep. then might have been like you couldn't do something in the in the, in the privates sort of thing. No,
0: you were allowed to the first, up until I think UFC 5. Yeah. Remember, remember the one guy, he, he, he punched the guy in the groin repeatedly. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's complete. So it was eye gouging. Was it one other thing? Eye gouging just- and biting.
0: I think were the only, uh, the only rules for the first couple UFCs.
1: Okay. And then by the time you got to around UFC 40 when you got into it, uh, it sounds like things have normalized a bit.
0: Yeah, a lot more rules. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that
1: makes sense. <laughs> oh, without, can... without a doubt,
0: without um, a doubt. And this, and what's crazy is, is the sport has only had, there's only been a couple deaths. None have really been due to the sport, um, because I, I honestly think it's much, much safer than boxing. Because once you get a couple hits that are aren't being, um, you know, two or three. Punches or kicks that are not being defended properly, the fight's over. And you know, any good ref will step in. Um, now, mind you, obviously getting punched repeatedly in the head during practice and fights is not healthy at all. Yeah, I I, I remember when USC one came out, uh, USC nineteen ninety three. That was that was exactly what me and my friends used to talk about all the time. What if Bruce Lee was alive versus Mike Tyson or? you know or or uh Chuck Norris versus band, you know or or a wrestler versus a boxer and, and and that's exactly what they offered us and they and they put it up there on the table for us
1: yeah so as a guy who uh trained with Dan Henderson and the greco guys and you had a standard wrestling background and you it sounds like there was a judo influence did you have anybody that uh was really honing in on boxing skills or was that just never really going to be a big part of you're fighting.
0: I I went and did Muay Thai for about a year. And I I worked with a guy with, did did American kickboxing for a little bit. uh, But I did Muay Thai with, with a guy named Ruben here in Oceanside. Um, My buddy, Josh was a real good boxer. Um, The MMA team that I finished with North County fight club, they would utilize a little bit of boxing, you know? So I, I, it was, but again, it was mostly to get to my grappling and this my fight at the Playboy Mansion was the only time I actually stood up and banged with somebody. I think he caught me with a punch and and, and that kind of woke me up. And I said, finally, I didn't want to wrestle anymore. I, I kept pushing him off me and trying to, and I think I could have not, but, but, you know, I, I connected on a couple shots and then he kind of locked me up. And I remember my coach yelling at me, Matt was, you know, you know, push off, get off, you know, get back in the center. And, and I wanted for the first time in my career, I wanted to so bad because I thought I had him and, I was tired. He was tired. He was hanging on me, and and so, but yeah, it, it was boxing was just again a means to an end to get to the wrestling.
1: Yeah, <laughs> something about wrestling with you. We probably joked about this last time. I, I was a basketball guy. I, rest, wrestling did not have any real appeal for me. But talking to you and other guys that really love wrestling, I I, I get it. it. Was never for me though.
0: Yeah. No, I get that.
1: Yeah. All right. So we we have. Talked about a lot. Uh, are there things in this part of your life uh, that we we didn't talk about? Because I do want to get together with you one more time uh, to really get into um, this this arc of, like, really, really low to where you are now, which I've only known you for the last, what, couple of months, and, and you, you appear to be in great spirits and, and wonderful
0: health, both mentally and physically and emotionally. Well, and- and, and I, honestly, I am. I, you know, I, I've, I, I've, I'm back to church. Uh, I, I, I'm being a service. Um, and, and church doesn't mean it. You know, I, I, I don't even know why I brought that up, but it's just allowed me to explore my spiritual side again, and, and even more so, seek out people that are like minded, as well as people that are, are just looking for answers. And and be of service. I, I try at least twice a week to work with uh, the sh- shower, uh, shower programs that give showers to the homeless community. Um, we started a clothing drive at, uh, the, the dojo that I'm at champion eyes. Uh, we're collecting clothes for these, uh, organizations. I work with above five or six t- different organizations. Um, you know, not, not directly, but indirectly a couple with them di- directly, but you know, indirectly, um, but yeah, you know, as, as we talked earlier, that addiction and getting fired led to homelessness and, and a, a lot of rock bottoms where um, I, I was actually homeless for a year with my kids in motels. I didn't call it homeless. I just called it transitioning. And, and mind you, I didn't think I was homeless because I'd had an apartment and then I didn't. And then I had rented a room and then I was in motels and then I rented another room. But I was, you know, and, and I just... I couldn't get it together. I, I, I really couldn't get it together. And um, and so, so yeah, there was a bunch of rock bottoms after that. I, I overdosed with my kids in, in a Motel 6. Um, yeah,
1: Rich, we're, we're going to save that one for the next yeah, one. That's, that's That's an unbelievable story. Yeah. I, I think that probably, if you had to pick one bottom, that was probably it, I'm guessing.
0: It, it, you know what? I, I've tried to. You know what I mean? Um, that was one, definitely. You know, my mom's passing um, two years ago. That was another. Um, th- there was... Quite a few. There really was uh, losing everything I owned for, for me mentally. I, looking back, it was not a big deal, but everything I owned was in storage. So that was, you know, when I lost all that because it was a lot of stuff for my kids, um, you know, getting hospitalized, uh, getting 5150. You know, I, I wasn't arrested, but I was basically uh, hospitalized by the, you know, the, the cops came, the fire department came because I was having an anxiety attack, but overdose, but, I don't even, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, we can, you know, touch that next time as well. But that was a, a big rock bottom as well. Um, where I was literally fighting the cops at, I think six 30 in the morning in front of a seven 11 and, and, there it was five fire firefighter, five firefighters and two cops. You know, I hadn't been sleeping that, that week. And, and I was just, you know, m- my mind was really spinning and, and, and I was really having some severe mental breakdown. So that was another rock bottom. And, and, um, I, I think I told you about the home invasion at the place I lived at. That was another. So,
1: yeah. So it's, it sounds like we've got plenty more to talk about. <laughs> hey, now I'm talking to you right now. I can't imagine being in front of a convenience store at six 30 in the morning fighting seven guys <laughs> that are there just to make sure you don't harm yourself or others.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I made a big scene there so that they, they had to come at me that way. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I was fighting them just enough not to get tased and not to get sprayed. And, um, and, and that's one thing I used my law enforcement for, you know, because during my addiction, I think I spoke to you about this before off of here, but I, I was stealing a lot of stuff from, from stores, electronics and things like that to sell, to, to, to make ends meet, to, to buy toys for my kids at first, then buy food and then to uh, buy pills. And well, it, was, it all came back to pills and drugs that I was, you know, get need the money for. And, um, and so, yeah, these are, you know, the drugs, the stealing, the acting out like that. These were things I would have never done. I had I, been raised properly. I, You know, like I said before, I had father figures that were cops. I'd always thought of myself as a straight out person. I, I never stole from people. I, 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 and then, but then I, I, I used and abused my mom while she was going through her cancer treatment, borrowing money from her left and right, knowing that I wasn't going to pay it back. Well, I, I, I thought I'd be able to pay it back once I got clean, but I had no idea when I got clean and, and, I didn't know how to get clean. I, I didn't know if I wanted to get clean for many, many years. And
1: Yeah, man, you are uh, – you, you, I think you said something out on Facebook today or yesterday, uh, something to the effect of most champions uh, have overcome a lot of adversity and, and very few that were born and lived in privilege have uh, achieved such heights. Um, and so, yeah, so – most of the adversity you faced, I can't imagine you'd wish you wish on anybody else, uh, but it, it's made you who you are today. And,
0: and, and you're right. But you know what, though? I, I would not. And I know this might be hard for some people to hear, but I would not change a thing because you, you look at that butterfly effect. If I change one thing, that changes everything. And then on top of that, all the lessons that I learned from all those rock bottoms has, has built me into this person that I am. Now that I'm finally proud of, I can finally say I love myself, which I never could have before. I, I, because I didn't, I didn't know what love was. I'm still having a hard time receiving and giving love. Um, but I finally love myself and and I love who I am now inside, not, not, you know, because I used to look at myself from the outside. I didn't, I I saw myself, whatever I I saw in the mirror, I hated that. I couldn't stand that. And, and, and just all the guilt and the regret and shame and all that. I, I just couldn't deal with it. And so there was just so much anger and hate and misery in my life for majority of my life. And mind you, I say that. And, and maybe this person, that person, Oh, I knew you, you, you were happy. I had bouts of happiness. Without a doubt. There was plenty of, you know, and, and I had a mom that tried so hard. She, I, she, I, I look back and I'm like, Holy, I, how did she do it? I put her through, I, I put her through so much, so much problems and so much, but yeah, I, I was, you know, a very different person now, but uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't change anything. I have no regrets anymore. And and if my kids were to hear this, yeah, they, they might be. That might bother them. That that might um that might hurt them. I don't but, think you mean. I don't think when you say that, I don't think you mean it in a hurtful way. No, and and you know what? I look forward to the day that I can share these things with them. And I don't know when that will be. I don't know where that will be. But I know that we will reconnect. I, I talked to you know those my my middle and youngest son. I talked to them. Um, usually every other week I haven't talked to them in, like I said, two months now. Um, I don't know if they're busy. I don't, I don't know if they don't want to talk to me anymore. I, I don't know what's going on yet, but I, again, I know that if, you know, as long as I continue down this path, which I, I know it will, I, I have all, all the faith in the world, which is something I never had before. I, I know that whatever I put my mind to now, as long as I put in the work stay disciplined and stay consistent it will happen and and i have many other dreams and, and, and things that i'm creating businesses ideas programs and obviously being you know back in my kids lives as well as i would love to be back in my ex wife's life and and her husband and and my oldest son's fam- you know i would love to be a family and again in in a weird way um you know and and maybe that doesn't happen for you know months years decades i don't know but i i truly believe that, that love will shine through.
1: Well, the good news is you can control how receptive you are to all those things. Uh, and so you're, you're doing your, your part, man. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Hey, Rich, I, uh, your story is unbelievable. Well, many, many aspects of your story are unbelievable. I, I look forward to talking to you the next time. And I appreciate you joining me for a, a second installment of your story.
0: Again, I am beyond grateful for this opportunity because this is, been one of my other purposes to share my story i i I really i know there's plenty plenty of people i need to hear this and and the last thing i want to say is this i know that i'm going to be judged i know that people are going to judge me i i actually shared some of these stories with one person and he turned to me and said i want to punch you in the face right now and i thanked him i said thank you for being honest i said i can't even imagine how many other people have thought that but because of my size because of my background they didn't want to say that but they thought that and i'm and and this uh, guys a black belt martial arts. So he, he felt confident enough to be able to say that. And I'm like, thank you. I said, because I know I'm being judged, but I, I also know that it, I'm planting seeds. I, I know that there's people that are struggling. I know that I know there's a lot of people that are struggling out there because I've I've had many people reach out to me that have heard a little bit of my story or no or or follow my story from afar um or at close up, you know, close friends. I know there's people because I, I remember how miserable I I and I and I know this whether they're you know whether they realize it or not, whether they're in the addiction, whether they're homeless or whether they think everything's okay. And and now I'm able to see the red flags, how people cope, you know, all those unhealthy coping mechanisms that are out there. And I can see those people that are in a lot of pain. And, and, and if I can help by being in any way help, um, I'm more than happy to. And, and I, you know, I, I've shared before, but you know, all my information, my pictures, even my before pictures when I was 305 pounds or on my Instagram and Facebook and Anybody's more than you know, more than welcome to, to look it up and, and check it out and um, and and message me or ask me questions or, or reach out to me, and and I'd love to help anybody, you know, from the Lyme Lyme disease community, from addictions or homelessness or mental health or, or fitness or obesity or anything.
1: All right, well, Rich, you're the man. I uh, I may, may have been judging you subconsciously, but I, I my thoughts are. What an incredible story. I want to be part of telling it. And I'm very, very happy that you are where you are now.
0: Thank you so much. I, again, I'm, I'm so appreciative for, for you connecting and, and this opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.